and TKOs, we are live. Episode 23, I'm your host, Shane Gillette, and we're coming at you on this beautiful Tuesday, November evening in the valley. You know, this is Antelope Canyon. If you didn't know, Google it, check it out. Uh, I'm planning my first in-person visit there here soon, as you have to do like... uh, if like reserve your day and they have a backlog, it's a whole thing. But beautiful freaking weather from now until April. The highs have been in the mid-80s. It's going into the 70s uh, next week just to be able to hit the cold plunge in the morning, have a cup of coffee, sit in the sun. It's always blue skies. You get a little bit of a cloud. It's like a high cloud day. We're loving it. And we're also loving this MMA action not only did we have fun with Sao Paulo, but this week in the Big Apple, Madison Square Garden with what I think, if you follow me on socials at Bose and TKO's, potential fight of the year candidate as well. So let's kick it off. We have some fights that have been booked. Um, big announcement by Dana White this week, which you get a quick video of like a few minutes from Dana. You don't know if it's going to be bad or good news, but this one was full of good news. But the first fight definitely was a head-scratcher for me. We have Raquel Pennington fighting Myra Bueno Silva for the the open bantamweight title, even though um, Bruno Silva just got a suspension for uh, an Osada suspension, a USADA suspension for some sort of supplement. But she's booked. She's technically off the roster as she's suspended right now, but booked a fight for the title, 297. I guess the UFC didn't think there was any better opponents. And, um, Drew, or not Drew, um, let's see, Jesus. Is it Juliana Pena, Pena? The, uh, lady that should be fighting there is out due to injury. So she cannot take the fight. Yeah, Juliana Pena. I don't know. I was try- mixing her with a, another old G- OG vet that's no longer there. I couldn't remember if that was her right name. But Juliana Pena, injured, not able to fight. So Raquel Pennington makes sense. There's Ketlin Vieta. Weren't going to give it to Holly Holm. Irene Aldana just looked pretty gross. So they're giving it to Myra Bueno Silva, who is... I thought she was in the rankings, but I guess not. I feel like she's fought at flyweight and bantamweight. So let's look. So her last fight was against Lena Landsberg and Holly Holm. Returned to bantamweight. So she has fought at flyweight, but has been at bantamweight uh, since 2022. We have Ketlin Vieta. Let's see. Maybe she fought recently with Raquel Pennington. Yes, she did. Split decision loss. I remember that fight. So that makes sense why maybe they didn't want to give it to her. They wanted it to be Raquel. Can't really do Holly or deeper. So I guess they wanted to keep the division active. This is the thing that makes sense. But coming off a suspension, I don't think I've seen that before. Someone who's 
was it already the title holder just gets a title shot from being suspended? Pretty wild stuff. Uh, but that will be uh, on the UFC 297 card who has lost Volkanovski, Ilya Taporia. But insert Sean Strickland, Dracu, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Dracus Du Plessé, UFC 297, DDP, and Sean Strickland for his first title defense. So you lose a fight, you get a fight, you get the Raquel Pennington uh, uh, cluster mess there. We also have Andre Feely versus Lucas Almeida for UFC 296. They're still adding fights to that card. That card is insane. If I did not have friends visiting that weekend, I'd be driving my behind up to Vegas and making that happen in person. We have Fareed Basharat and Taylor Lapillis, January 13th. We got the Bonfim brothers and the Basharat brothers running through the UFC. So he's got to tune in when they're stepping into the octagon. And then the Valley standing up for this one, the bantamweight champion of the world, Sean Sugar. Sean O'Malley is getting his rematch and first title defense against Marlon Cheeto Vera, UFC 299 in March. There's not an official date or official location for that. And there's not an official date or location for this fight either. The headliner, Alexander Volkanovsky, Ilya Taporia, moved to February, UFC 298. Unknown date in February and location. Can't wait to see where those go. I'll be booking 100-level seats for the first time. Uh, for Sean O'Malley's uh, contender f- or um, title defense here, and I cannot wait for this rematch. Lots of fun storylines there. And then um, booked today, we have Song Yadong taking on Chris Gutierrez, December 9th. This was a matchmaker Monday special. Uh, it just sounded too good, and uh, of course the matchmakers thought the same. Excited for that bantamweight showdown. And not official, but per Ariel Hawani, Jan Blakovich and Alexander Rakic, the rematch in the works for UFC 297, which will be in Toronto as well. So we'll, we'll stay tuned to see if that gets officialized. And kind of a surprising head, or news line here, Talia Santos off the UFC roster. Uh, she's kind of been living in the top five of the division, has had some title shots, and she's off the roster. Um, must not have been able to come to agreements on uh, new terms of her contract. She is coming off back-to-back losses, although they were against Aaron Blanchfield and Valentina Shevchenko, um, where she fought for the championship, flyweight. But she had a four-fight winning streak before that against Joanne Wood, Roxanne Modafferi, Jillian Robertson, and Molly McCann. But she is no longer on the UFC roster, especially, you know, um, a... You know, the women's side of thing, I, I feel like lacks depth a little bit. Um, although the flyweight division is one of the better ones. Because of that, everyone moves up in the rankings and we get JoJo, Joanne Wood in the top 15. She had a fight rebooked after one uh, couldn't go through. So very inter- interesting things happening there. Elsewhere in the MMA world, we had a grappling event, Polar- Polaris, I think it's an, the w- right way to say it. 26, we had two ex or one UFC uh, veteran and an ex UFC veteran in Molly McCann getting a win via armbar, um, which is surprising. <laughs> and then Craig Jones, uh, Gerald Marshart, Mearshart, the headliner. Exciting to see how Gerald 
who has struggled uh, in some of the grappling events. Is uh, He lost Andre Petrosky, or maybe it was uh, Joe Pfeiffer, um, but taking on one of the best, and Craig Jones made slight work of it. I tuned in for the main event, didn't miss much. Uh, he was able to get a crazy back take and sink in the rear naked choke within a matter of probably 30 seconds. So um, not too much going on there, but I, I was excited, always excited to see UFC fighters in the grappling against some of the best grapplers. It's like Nganu and Fury boxing. You, you want to see how they match up. But we do have that Jorge Masvidal, Masvidal, bare knuckle event. What, what, what a, who would have thought out of all people, I guess the street fighting guy that's been putting on all kinds of chaotic fights with uh, some of the OGs uh, in Miami. Uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but the guy, uh, the makeup of Jorge Masvidal, I did not think would be putting on just, I mean, at this point, once every, once a quarter, just bangers. Is it bare knuckle? Is it MMA? Is it boxing? Who cares? We got Alan Belcher taking on Roy Nelson. Big country, bare knuckle against one of the best bare knucklers out there. We get a guy who showed some glimpses in the UFC, still young, Randy Costa, bantamweight, taking on Jason Knight, who was in the Ultimate Fighter, fought really well as, you know, in, in that showcase there. So that should be a fun one. Was Jason Knight ain't going to be scared of no bare knuckle. So uh, that's going to be fun. Chase Sherman, who's had his time in uh, bare knuckle in the UFC as well, is taking on Carl Sumantafa. We have Chris Saro taking on Hector Lombard. Fucking Hector Lombard. And then you want to talk about scraps, man. Francisco Trinaldo, a guy who I thought should still be on the UFC roster, taking on Shasha Palin Palantinikov. Again, November 10th, free on YouTube. I couldn't find the exact time of the start here, but uh, you could check it out on YouTube and you could watch the stream post. I probably won't be able to watch the stream this Friday, so I'll, I'll try to tune in this weekend. Those should be some great fights, so I'm excited to see that. Congratulations, Jorge, on just enjoy, you know getting us fight fans hyped up. But we did have UFC Fight Night Sao Paulo this past weekend. Your boy here at Bows and TKO, 6-2-1, another draw. Oh, man, I still can't believe that. But 6-2-1, can't, you know, can't be mad about it. Good, good little percentage there. So that moves Bows and TKOs to 113-68-2. And, and there was just a, a lot of fights that fell off. One due to a missed weight. Let me see if I could quickly find out why all these fights. There was like four fights off the card, which... Foreign countries, sometimes shit like that happens. Three fights. I think it ended up being four fights. So, let's see. Um, Armin Petrosian got sick. He caught a virus, so he pulled out, um, I believe. So, that was November 4th. Oh, he tweeted that later. But I believe that was morning of. So Armin Petrosian pulled out uh, against Rodolfo Vieta. And then there was the weight miss. Vince Bichelle was not having it. He said Ismail Bonfim didn't even try uh, to lose weight. He's three and a half pounds over. So he said, I will take your opportunity to miss weight or um, to fight because of that. And 
I have a little bit of mixed feelings about this. Three and a half pounds is a lot, especially by the time they fill in. Um, you know, obviously Stephen Thompson talked about that. Veterans are trying to take a stand here. It's part of your job to make weight. So I can't really slight him, not by any means there. But there was one more fight that got canceled, and I can't. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Contender Series alums, Daniel Marcos, Victor Hugo, uh, was pulled off as well, or taken off the card. I'm not sure what happened to that one. So we had a sickness. We had a miss weight. I'm not sure what happened with that one. Um, but especially the, 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 the Petrosian one happened literally hours before the show. Um, but we're going to start um, breaking it down. Um, we had some decent fights. We had Eduarda Mora with a round two TKO. Uh, she looked great. I, I believe her first or second UFC fight, uh, you know, slight work really. And then Elves Brenner, I mean, probably should have talked about it, but I didn't know his, his opponent that well. And I, I thought it might, you know, be an easy win. Well, he gets a round one knockout performance of the night, 50 G's against Kainan Kruszewski. Uh, but Els Brenner show keeps on rolling. Let's get this guy a quality opponent. But we're going to kick it off. Angela Hill. Overkill Hill, the underdog. <laughs> She's out there defending the top 15 against these young bloods. Unanimous decision over Denise Gomes. And this is just classic Angela Hill. Like I said, the volume, the control of the octagon. Um, you know, even when Gomes did land some big shots, she didn't follow up combos. Angela was right in her face trying to get takedowns. When she did get the takedown, she was easily able to, to, to stay in top control, move around, you know, maybe get some ground and pound, maybe look for a, a submission opening. And Denise really had no answer from her back. So um, I want to say complete domination, but a complete control from Angela Hill over the course of three rounds. She's almost 39 years old. This is a lady that I does not think gets enough love from MMA fans. I knew she was getting it as the dog, and I wouldn't be surprised if she does it again. But I would love to see her get a quality opponent and not have to fight these young and up-and-comers. She deserves it. Statistically, Angela landed 96 total strikes, 76 of which were significant. She had five takedowns and nine attempts, you know, better than 50%. Most of her strikes significant. I mean, she did work. Uh, she had a reversal as well. And Denise landed some good volume, 111 total, 62 of which were significant. I feel like 111 total, some of that was on her back doing nothing. Uh, but she did get one takedown and three attempts and a reversal of her own. But Angela, she starts a new winning streak. She's almost 39, but she is 3-2 and two since 2022, five fights and, and, and not even full two years. She stays active. She defends her 12th spot in the rankings. And Denise ends her two-fight losing streak, or no, her two-fight winning streak, and starts a new losing streak. She is 3-2 and two in the UFC. So what's next? You got to give me Angela and someone that gets the juices flowing. She deserves that. How about Carolina Kowalsiewicz? Two women, especially Carolina, later in their careers, kind of having that resurgence. Uh, I think that would be a great battle of two OGs and, and much deserved. So let's make it happen. Moving on. Um, an underdog I did not get right here, but golly, there's been viral tweets or X's or whatever the hell we say now about um, kind of a tangent here. Leonard Fournette's hamstring 
busting out of the shorts, got signed to Bill's practice squad, kind of a big deal in the football world. How about the legs of Vitor Petrino, man? I feel like they got bigger. He's in Brazil. He's got the secret juice with Paul Acosta or something. They look bigger than I've ever seen. Golly, he could, you know, just think of the force those suckers can give behind you. Well, he had some force and just barely connected on Modestus, and that's all it took. Lights out. Had the, the eye rolls and everything. Earned him another performance of the night. 50 Jays. It only took Vitor 14 total strikes. Eight of those were significant. He did get a takedown in two attempts and a knockdown. And Modestus only landed 12 total strikes, nine of which were significant. So I'm not surprised. I thought it would go past, you know, I guess it was round two. So round one was definitely them filling each other out. Vitor was very calm, cool, collected, just waiting for that opening. And Modestus, you don't want to close range too much against a guy like Vitor. I thought it would get into the later rounds and Modestus would, would, would make do. But early in round two, just barely clicked him. Boom, lights out. So Vitor stays undefeated. His winning streak is up to nine. Four of them in the UFC. And Modestus ends his four-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. So what's next for these gents? Well, I'd love to see Vitor take on Felipe Linz. That would be a wild scrap. Two hard hitters, two Brazilians. And for Modestus, how about Maxim Grishin? Um, I hope he gets another opportunity. I know he just got back to the UFC, um, took on a stud like Vitor in enemy, te enemy territory. Uh, let's get him a good fight. Moving on, um, probably one of the biggest shockers of the night, Renat Fakaradinov, majority draw against Elizao Zaleski Dos Santos. But boy, was this a fight. I mean, Renat had Elizao almost 100% completely finished. I think some officials would have even finished that, you know, called the fight off. He had him rocked big power shots. And uh, much like the, um, oh, man, um, fight of the night bonus leader. Gosh, I'm just blinking right now, man. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I have to look this up at this point. Bear with me. Let's see. Featherweight. Come on, where's he at? Edson Barboza in that fight where he got rocked. Then ended up rocking him. It was a lot of the same. Um, as the fight went on, Renat was hitting Dos Santos so many times, it gassed himself out. Um, round two, I would say he won as well. Lizao started picking things up, and, and he realized that, like, okay, you know, I'm down a round and a half. I have to figure this thing out. Come round three, Renat was so gassed, Elizao was taking the advantage, had a takedown, almost had him finished on top control, ran out of time. And, you know, I don't really see this being a majority draw again. I had Renat with rounds one and two, but one big round with a big moment for Renat, one big round, big moment for Dos Santos. I haven't seen the scorecards. You know, some of the judges may have done 10 8 on both sides. I would give 10 8 round one Renat, if anything. So I don't know. Really how that could be a majority draw kind of doesn't make sense. I think Renat got the fight stolen from him, but he almost lost the fight at the very end. So I guess a lesson learned for both fighters. Uh, but I hate seeing things end up in a draw. This isn't soccer. That's why I'm not a soccer fan. Um, but wild, wild fight. Just back and forth. Renat throwing shots. Dos Santos with his age and miles on him. I mean, he did have the time off with the USADA suspension. Very impressed. And, and he just really pushed it. You know, it's like the Rocky. Just You get beat up enough, the other guy gasses out, you can start putting the beating down on him. 
Um, statistically, you know, this is the draw, so let's break it down here. Renat had 109 total strikes, 87 of those significant. Elizao had 115 total, 75 significant. So again, a lot of the bigger shots was Renat in round one and two. Elizao had more strikes, you know, the volume over the course of the half of round two and all of round three, that makes sense, but not as many significant, you know, he wasn't landing as big a shots. And then he had the submission attempt and was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts was Elizo. And uh, Renat had a reversal and the knockdown. And he had one takedown in nine attempts. A lot of that was him being gassed, you know, shitty attempts. But, you know, Renat's on a 20-fight winning streak. Now the draw, uh, Dos Santos, two-fight. I-, I really don't know what to do with these guys. But let's just rematch them. Two, two OGs, they had a great fight. They must have had fun. You saw Renat smiling and, and you know, yada yada in with them. I, I don't know why this fight can't get rebooked. Let's get a clear decision. I don't I don't think they rebook a lot of fights of just random non-ranked guys in a draw, but it delivered. So, uh, to me, it makes sense. Let's just rebook it. And then moving on, we had Kyle Baraglio with a unanimous decision over Abus Magomedov. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how many fights got canceled here. And um, round one, a lot like the um, um, Vitor first round, a lot of feeling each other out, right? A lot of processing, looking for the opening. So very slow start. Then things started picking up. Baraljo was really leading the dance throughout the fight and, and, and controlling the center of the octagon. But he was not as, as aggressive as I'm used to seeing. And I thought he would uh, try to get more bigger shots and look to get a finish, especially, you know, being in Brazil. Uh, but he was measured. You know, he's measured, needs to get the win, got the win. I could have saw this, though, with the the draw. I was like, oh, shit, here we go again. Um, but Kyle landed 70 total strikes, 51 of those significant. He did have a knockdown, which that definitely won him the fight. And he was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. Only one takedown attempt. That's crazy. Abus landed 39 total strikes, and 38 of those were significant. So, Kayao is on a 13-fight winning streak, six of them in the UFC, and Abus extends his losing streak to two. He is one and two in the UFC. So, what's next? Give me Baraglio and Jack Hermanson, man. What a, what a fantastic matchup that would be for us. And for Abus, how about Abdul Razak Al-Hassan? Power strikers, oh man, that would be great, a ton of fun. And I think it's time for Baraglio to get a top 15 opponent. Jack hasn't been fighting much. I, I think that would be great, you know, a, a opportunity for Jack if you beat Baraglio. Some good momentum on his name too. And then we had this fight right pretty much about how I expected it to be. We had Rodrigo Nascimento with unanimous decision over Dontel Mays. And... <laughs> Rodrigo tired himself out beating up Dontel. I mean, he was just landing massive amount of shots. And, uh, uh, you know, just like the Dos Santos fight, you know, over the course of the fight, round two to the second half of round two and into round three, Dontel was just a little bit fresher and was putting the fight on to Rodrigo. But when, when Dontel would land, it didn't land with the same zest that Nascimento had. And I would say this was probably a closer fight than their first fight. But Rodrigo was so confident, he didn't even use the wrestling, which he could have. Um, you know, he tried when he was gassed, but it wasn't really 
full attempts. Like he could have got those early if he wanted to. He just wanted to walk through Dontel, which is, is very ballsy. Um, but if anything, the big takeaway here is Dontel is durable, which is a big thing in the heavyweight division. Um, so interested to see what happens for him next. But breaking it down, Rodrigo had 91 total strikes, 70 significant. He was 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. Dontel landed 105 total, 79 of those significant, was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts himself. Um, so, you know, definitely Dontel won round 3, Rodrigo round 1, round 2 was pretty close. I think Dontel just really had a lot more of that volume because he had more volume over the course of three rounds, but a lot of that was round three. So Rodrigo extends his winning streak to three. He's now five and one in the UFC since 2019. So not a ton of fights over the course of time, you know, COVID and things like that. Uh, but he enters the top 15 at 15. And Dontel starts a new losing streak. He moves to one and two since 2022. So what's next for these guys? Well, Rodrigo versus Alexander Romanov. That would be a very, very fun fight. And for Dantel, he could square up with Justin Taffa. Two like uh, stylistic matchups there that would be great for fight fans. Let me get some water before this one. Man, oh man. I got to see a lot in this fight, man. We got Nicholas Dalby, the dog. With a second round knockout over Gabriel Bonfim. Fight of the night. Well deserved, Nicholas Dalby. Although I picked Gabriel Bonfim, I am not shocked that Dalby won. I am shocked it came in this manner. What do I mean by that? This was the first opportunity for me to really see the power and striking ability of Bonfim. And boy, does it look good. But when you steamrolled someone your whole career and you're getting a veteran who is fighting to, to finish his career off strong at 38 years old in this very, very deep class. You can't take a loss to an a, a up-and-comer like this. you got to hold your ground. Now he has a real opportunity to fight in the top 15. I, I don't know what his contract situation is, but this has to help a lot. You take a loss here, take one more, you could be out. You know, Now he's, he's given himself at least two to three more fights, probably more. So, you know, ben, Bond theme early, round one and two, was definitely passing the test, but... He, you know, all those power strikes, he's used to just steamrolling people. When you get a guy like Dolby that could eat those and, and try to shrug them off where the, the damage isn't as much as you think it is, then Rocky style, you know, we had a lot of these fights where a guy was just early putting a barrage on. People were able to weather the storm, and that's what Dolby did. And uh, the storm didn't last three rounds here, though. It lasted uh, one round, and coming into round two, Gabriel gave it all he did had at the beginning of the round. Dalby was able to get through it, and he put a punishing beating down on, on Bonfim, and it was a great display. I mean, the striking improvements from Dalby, dude, uh, it's, it's been awesome. But for me, too, for Bonfim, you know, there's nothing really to shake your head out besides we got to be prepared to measure our energy for three to five rounds if we want to be a champ one day, and we got to get the cardio better. We can't let a 38-year-old guy out, outgas us, so... Uh, statistically, Nicholas landed 64 total strikes, 53 of which were significant. He had the knockdown and was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. And Gabriel landed 47 total strikes, 39 of those significant, which, okay, you're throwing, let's say, 40 strikes over a round and a half of just straight gas. I mean, if I did that, yeah, I'd be gassed. I mean, I'm not trying to say that's not a big... But for someone who has the championship aspirations, you just can't have that happen. 
You know, 47 total, 39 significant, and you pretty much gassed yourself to defeat. Uh, he had three takedowns and five attempts, so was able to get the takedown, had a submission attempt. Uh, but bravo, Dalby, for weathering that storm, man. Woo! So Dalby now extends his winning streak to four, and Gabriel suffers his first loss that ends his 15-fight winning streak. He now moves to 3-1 and one in the UFC. So where do these guys go next? Well, I talked about this on Matchmaker Monday. Give me Nicholas Dalby and Michael Chiesa, a top 15 veteran. Why not after a performance like that? Chiesa's got to be down. Both well-rounded fighters. Chiesa needing a win after the loss to uh, Kevin Holland. And for Bonfim, how about Phil Rowe? Another young, high-striking ability guy. I think those would be fantastic matchups. So let's make that ish happen. And then the main event, Jaelton Almeida with a unanimous decision over Derek Lewis. And and this was what you just did not want to see. I mean, Almeida, you got to do what you got to do. You're, you're fighting the knockout king. But over the course of five rounds, to just get an early takedown and try to just grapple to victory, it's tough. And even for major fight fans, that's tough. You know, I wanted to, we wanted to see the evolution, what he's really capable of, and we did not get that. If there was a knockout artist or heavyweight that would be easier to take down and control, I would say it's Derek Lewis, nothing against him, and he's worked on that a lot. Um, But I'm not surprised this was the path to victory. I guess I can't really blame him, but this doesn't help his stock. I thought with a good finish against Derek Lewis, you're you're right up there in the short list of heavyweight contention. Now like it's going to be a slow process moving up, and and Dana White's going to want to see more in the rest of the matchmakers, but... Um, yeah, he wrestled his, his way to victory. It's MMA for a reason. Uh, Gialton landed 120 total strikes, only 38 significant. A lot of that's touchy feely stuff and top control, but he had six takedowns and 15 attempts, you know, was able to get them four submission attempts. He had a reversal. So he was working and Derek only got 28 total 20 significant while going 0 for two in his own takedowns. But to, to be honest with you, a guy like Gialton, younger, fitter, the fact that Derek could take fucking five rounds of being taken down and a guy trying to submit you and finish you and last, like that, that's a pretty impressive feat, although I'm sure he doesn't want to hear that. I I didn't, I didn't figured if Gileson would wrestle him by round three and four, he'd, he'd easily find a way to, to get a finish. But Derek's battling. He's in great shape. He's really working on himself. So bravo uh, on both aspects for, for both fighters in, in those situations. But... Gialton, I mean, he's still a force. He's got a 15-fight winning streak now, seven of which are in the UFC, and he deservedly moves up two spots in the rankings to number nine. And Derek starts a new losing streak. He is one in four since 2022. He's been active. He's been doing things, and I know that's not the best of records. He moves down one spot to number 11, but we all love him. We can't wait to see him come back. And I think he needs a good matchup. You know, he's been taking these fights, taking the grapplers, Give us Derek Lewis and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Two strikers. I mean, why not? And for Almeida, give him a grappler. Feed him Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades ain't of a, a, afraid of a fight. I'm sure he'd like to show that he can outgrapple Almeida. Those are the fights to make. Can't wait to see how that shakes out. But you want to talk about uh, something that's going to deliver, man. UFC 295. And the prelims here on ESPN News, which is interesting, 5 p.m. Pacific, the main card, pay-per-view. And we have some solid fights that we will not break down. Joshua Van put on a fantastic performance in his UFC debut. Um, I got my eyes on him. 
He's taking on Contender Series alum Kevin Borjas. And then we have John Castaneda against Kyung Ho Kong. That should be a great matchup. And Matus Rebecki, who's 18-1. and He's getting a short-notice fill-in. Roosevelt Robert, Roberts, ex-UFC fighter and Ultimate Fighter alum from the veteran Contender Series fighters this, this season. Um, I like that short-notice fight better. I, I, you know, We're really going to see how Rebecca can do against a long, lanky striker. See Joshua Van back. Solid uh, matchup, Castaneda and Kong. So check those out. But we're kicking this off. There is an early prelims, uh, which will be Fight Pass. I'm assuming ESPN Plus as well. Let's see. These aren't all the early prelims, are they? Let's see. I forgot to mark where the prelims start. And this stuff's ever-changing. It could change. It's only Tuesday. Which I've been doing the last couple pods late weeks. I've been traveling, just trying to get shit together. I'm in sales. It was end of quarter. Now it's Q4. It's, it's just crazy. Um, the goal is Tuesday night every week. Every week because then... I could put out some reels and some glimpses throughout the week. One pre, you know, of the past card, two upcoming preview videos and snippets or reels, whatever you want to call them, for the next card. So that's the 100% goal that I'm shooting for. But some weeks, it just life doesn't allow. But we are putting it out every week, almost three freaking years. I said that on the last pod, and it's just crazy. Uh, pushing three years. Let's go. I'm super proud of what has evolved from business and buckets to bows and TKOs, unfiltered business. Lots coming in 2024. I was like, what am I even looking at? Um, so early prelims, we're talking, I think, one fight. Yep, so this is the early prelim headliner, and then it moves into the prelims. But we got um, Mark, the Olympian Madsen. 39 years old with a 12-1 and record, taking on Jared Flash Gordon. 35 years old with a 19-6 and record. Got to get the odds up, too. Let's see what kind of dogs. There's some fun dog plays here, a little dog parlay. A lot of the time on pay-per-views, you, you bet the dogs one, or, one might hit, but a lot of the parlays and excitement that I have, it usually doesn't work out. Keep that in mind. But I'm excited for these, these odds. Here in this fight, we're getting two veterans – who've had some moments, but I don't feel like they've had really career-defining moments. You know, I'm sure Jared hates this, but if you think of Jared Gordon, you think of the Patty Pimblett robbery, right? You think of Mark Madsen, you just, I just think Olympian and, and tough. Um, they need to get that momentum going at this point in their career, especially Mark, 39. You know, Jared on the end of his prime at 35. But breaking these guys down, Mark has a wrestling style. You know, he's an Olympian. Olympian. He's recently changed uh, his training out of Fight Ready here in Phoenix. Henry Cejudo and squad get the Olympians together. I wonder if he pitched Henry on that idea, if Henry pitched him. But his wrestling background, he was a Greco-Roman silver medalist in the 16 Olympics. And in 2005, 7, 9, and 15, he got silver as well at World Championships. It's a lot of silver. I wonder if it's the same guy that kept beating him to get gold. Um, I would Google that, but it might take me some time, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but he is on a one-fight losing streak. He is 4-1 and one in the UFC since 2019. I need a Jamie, you know, like Joe Rogan. Hey, Jamie, look that shit up. Um, so, you know, not a lot of fights since 2019, but 4-1, and one, that, that's still a good record. 
He's a Cage Warriors alum, and in this fight, he has a four-inch reach advantage. Um, if, if strikers like to kick, I do bring up the leg reach sometimes, but they have to be more than two and a half inches. If it's two inches or less, I mean, that's really not much of an advantage in my eyes. So that's when I talk about those. It's two and a half or better. And uh, leg reach only if I, I think the guy might be kicking. And then Jared, he trains out of Sanford MMA. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Cage Fury alum and former champion. He's on a one-fight losing streak. Had the no contest due to the Bobby Green accidental headbutt. I personally think Bobby Green would have won that fight. But he has not won since August of 2022. That plus the pimblet. Like, this guy is just desperate for some positive momentum here. He is 3-2, and two, though, since 2021. Although, neither guy is super active. Now, both fighters have good MMA grappling and wrestling. I do expect this to be more of a strike, striking battle because of that. I wouldn't be surprised who, you know, if Mark as an Olympian tries to mix in some grappling. But both men have good gas tanks. They've showed their cardio. I think Mark does have a slight striking advantage and obviously the grappling advantage. You know, slight though, not huge. Because he was a Greco-Roman wrestler doesn't mean that, you know, he's a better wrestler in an octagon up against a cage with gloves than Jared Gordon. Greco-Roman especially, it's not the same as folk style. It's a lot more uh, tossy um, and turny, which... You're not going to be doing those things in the octagon. Um, but he still has the wherewithal, the body control, those types of things. So I give him a slight grappling advantage. And um, I think he might use that just to try to tire out Jared Moore and look to win on the scorecards. I don't think anyone's going to get a finish here. Uh, Jared will have the jiu-jitsu advantage, but I doubt Mark messes with Jared uh, on the mat. You know, he looks to get takedowns to top control, maybe get it back up, maybe up against the cage, just wear on him. I don't see him trying to get a takedown and, and mess with the jiu-jitsu side of things. For that reason, we got Mark Madsen as the plus 150 underdog. I'm taking the dogs. The dogs eat anywhere in the world, but definitely in the Big Apple at MSG. We're taking the Olympian. We put him on that parlay as a dog. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Into the prelims, we have Nazim, the Black Wolf Sadikov. 29 years old with a 9-1 record, taking on Vashislav Slava Borshev. I think he used to be called Slava Claus. 31 years old with a 7-3 record. Now, this fight is between two men looking to make a name for themselves in the UFC. Um, they're pretty much in their prime, so the time is now. And we're better to do it and start the juices going in MS freaking G. I mean... For those of you that are sports fans, and I bring a lot of other sports to just random tangents here. I used to do a full sports show. I'm very, very up to date with NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball, somewhat hockey, and MLB. And there's only a few arenas that I haven't been to that I like have to do it. And I haven't been to MSG for an event, but I've literally walked around it, and the shit gave me chills. There's like an aura of MSG. Um, so... Just me, a casual human that doesn't fight and, you know, aren't all fucking fired up. Imagine fighting another man in front of thousands in an arena like that. The rumble in the jungle, the history that's been there. I mean, come on. Now, Nazim, he trains at a Longo Weidman MMA. He's a nine-fight winning streak, three of which are in the UFC. He is a Ring of Combat Contender Series and Cage Fury alum. And six of his nine wins are via knockout. Vashislav trains at a Team Alpha Male. 
He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 3-2 and two in the UFC. He is an LFA, Titan FC, and Contender Series alum. Six of his seven wins are via knockout. Both train with a bunch of dogs. They're on winning streaks. Nazim, obviously a little bit heavier. They've been in all the great promotions, and they have a lot of knockouts. That spells fun. Now, this fight, not only is it going to be fun, it should be chaos. Both men like to deliver the big shots, turn the, like, the fight into a scrap. It's not going to be a technical kickboxing bout. Vashislav has definitely shown that he can struggle with grapplers, so I think he will struggle at, uh, with Nazim's grappling ability if Nazim doesn't just look to you know, see red and go crazy in there. So I expect Nazim to look for takedowns, but he can deliver with his own striking. I think he's going to look to mix it in just to keep him guessing. But I am taking the Black Wolf. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Right now, the Black Wolf is a minus 138 uh, favorite. So not a huge favorite. It should be a fun one. Moving on. We got Tabitha, Baby Shark Ricci, 28 years old with a 9-1 record and the number 10 next to her name, taking on Lupita Lupi Godinez, 30 years old with an 11-3 record and the number 13 next to her name. A top 15 showdown. I mean, what a fantastic fight between two women who are cruising, who have shown a ton of potential of women that they think can be into contention, and they're in their primes. I do feel like with women's MMA, especially the new era, their primes is a little bit earlier than the men uh, because they come in earlier. There's a lack of depth in the UFC for that. Uh, so they come in a little bit earlier, get to earn their stripes. Their primes are more so, I'd say, 26 to 31. Um, a ton is on the line because of this, though, for, for both women. You know, if you're the winner, you're going to have a nice path into the top 10. Uh, you're going to be cruising. You, you, you may even get a, you know, a top five opponent in your next bout. You get a good win there. You're right in business. Where if you lose in your prime, you're going to be pushed out of the top 15 or close to, and you're going to be battling all these other um, up and coming, you know, maybe veterans like Angela or all the up and comers, the Emily Ducates, you know, the, what was Aaron Blanchfields who just coming in with so much skill and talent. Um, and you don't want to be in that position. Breaking it down. Tabitha has a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in judo. She's on a four-fight winning streak, and she is an LFA alum. Now, Lupi has a purple belt in BJJ. She did some crazy stuff recently. She has the record for fastest turnaround in modern UFC history, which was seven days. And she has the record for the shortest span between not one, not four, but three fights in modern UFC history. 42 days, so a month and some change for three fights. Most people have a 12-week, uh, I want to say 12-week, probably eight-week fight camps for a fight. She is an LFA alum and former champion, and she is on a three-fight winning streak. Now, per usual, I think, I mean, let's be honest. I don't really think anyone is going to have a speed advantage against Baby Shark. So she's going to have the speed advantage, but Loopy definitely will probably have the power advantage. But can uh, Loopy slow Tabitha down? And how can she do that? Can she get her up against the cage? Can she wear on her? Can she, you know, what can she do to avoid the volume of Ricci? Is it just one power check hook to, to keep the separation? I'm not sure. But I think we're going to get a mix of not only Tabitha having the striking advantage 
uh, and Loopy getting some big shots. But I think that Tabitha is going to have like the grappling wrestling advantage, and and it might not come to down come down to that at all. But if there is going to be an advantage there, I think Tabitha is going to have the takedown advantage. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. Plus the jujitsu games, um, Loopy definitely has like the more fuller figure for this weight class. Uh, Tabitha seems to be a little bit smaller. You know, walking in fight night once they're um, rehydrated and everything. So let's say it does go to the mat. You know, Loopy uh, has a little bit lower of a belt ranking in BJJ, which doesn't always mean everything. She does have the size advantage. So I'm interested to see how the MMA grappling would shake out if it comes to that. Uh, but this might just be a striking affair. We got speed, power. I'm taking Baby Shark. She just seems to be one of the more technical women in this division. Um, you know, she trains with a bunch of studs and, and really does a good job in mixing in everything where no one could really guess at what she's doing for that reason. I'm taking the plus. No, oh, that can't be right. She's an underdog underdog. Let's see. This is on. I just type in UFC Vegas odds, Vegas insider. Let's do the, um, the one where it shows a lot of sports books here. Let's see. Is she really the underdog? Yeah. All books plus 130, 140 on the one I was looking at plus 130. I mean, shoot. Even better than I remember. There is some fun underdogs. We're taking Baby Shark as the underdog. She's coming to eat. We're putting her on that parlay as an underdog. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Oh, man, can't wait. I have a friend coming from out of town, a uh, fellow Steeler fan, watch the games, watch the fights. And, boy, I just I have a feeling we're we making some money this weekend, and that makes trips that much better. We're already taking Madsen as the underdog, Tabitha Ricci as the underdog, and I'm pretty confident in those. The Mark Madsen one, I wouldn't really probably parlay that, uh, maybe – you know, an underdog parlay, um, but sheesh, we're in business, man. So watch out for Baby Shark. Moving on. This guy can't be the underdog. Oh, this is short. Yep, no, he's not. We got Steve Astro Boy Ersig, 28 years old with a 10-1 and record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Alessandro Nono Costa, 27 years old with a 13-3 and record. Now, you know, we're getting two young prospects here who want to put on a show. They're up in the prelims ahead of a lot of good fights for a reason. I mean, Astro Boy put on a show in his UFC debut against a very good-ranked David Dvorak. And Alessandro had a short-notice debut against Amir Albazi. He lasted all three rounds. And he recently defeated a very good Jimmy Flick. So stay tuned for this one. The flyweights are crazy too, man. Now, Stevie is on a nine-fight winning streak, 1-0 in the UFC. Six of his 10 wins are via submission. Now, Alessandro is on a one-fight winning streak. He's 1-1 in the UFC. He is a Contender Series alum. Six of his 13 wins are via submission, four via knockout, so 10 of his 13 wins are via finish. But both of these guys with the, uh, a bunch of submission victories. Now, Alessandro, two of his three losses are via knockout. For me, I'm just really excited to see Steve next fight, man. 
Um, you know, he, he really shocked us coming into the UFC. I, I mean, I don't think anyone expected that kind of performance. And he's squaring up against a very well-rounded flyweight who's a little bit crazy on the feet, which you never know if they can catch him. He's got a great ground game. He's Brazilian. And uh, I think it's really going to open up for both fighters to showcase their full talent, so I'm super stoked on that. But I can't take against my boy Astro Boy after that performance. Alessandro is going to be a great measuring stick. We'll get to see more of him, get some more film on him. But I am taking Astro Boy. We are putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Ah! Fired up. Moving into the main card, we got Pat Sabatini, 32 years old with an 18-4 and record, taking on Diego Lopes. I had to make check, check the Vegas odds here too. Uh, 28 years old with a 22 and six records. Now, both of these fighters have had some good success early in their UFC careers. You know, I'm not saying it's early in their career, but they haven't been in the UFC for a ton of time. Diego's last fight, he submitted like the jujitsu guy, a very talented Gavin Tucker early. And uh, he, he he's showcased his MMA grappling as he's used that for um, sweeps for submission attempts and moves. You know, he took on Movsara, Vloev, and, and, and damn near beat him. But the question is, can his striking compete with Sabatini's? Breaking it down, Pat has a black belt in BJJ, so he's no slouch either. He's also got a black belt in Tong Soo Do, which is a form of karate. He has a D1 wrestling background out of Ryder University. He's a Cage Fury alum and former champ. He had three successful title defenses in Fury, Cage Fury. 11 of his 18 wins are via submission, and two of his four losses are via knockout. Now, Diego is on a one-fight winning streak. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. He's a Contender Series alum and Fury FC alum. Uh, 12 of his 22 wins are via submission, 8 via knockout, so a very impressive 20 of 22 wins via finish. Now, he does have a 2.5-inch reach advantage and a 3-inch leg reach advantage in this fight. Now, Pat's very well-rounded. He's not great anywhere, but he's freaking solid everywhere. He has more of a traditional wrestling grappling style than Lopes. Uh, Lopes is going to you know, try to pull guard. You know, his long, length, lengthy legs, that 3-inch leg advantage puts you in a triangle and use that as his offense. I do expect a majority of this fight to be a kickboxing war. And I do think Pat is more of a technical striker, just cleaner, crisper strikes, a little bit more power. And I think uh, Diego's just going to look to make this a dogfight like he has so far in, in his UFC career. I wouldn't be surprised if Pat gets this up to the cage, tries to wear on Diego as well. Now, Lopes, he, he's shocked the world and, and definitely impressed me, but I, I'm picking Pat Sabatini in this fight. Uh, I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Let's go. Trying to get that, that paper this weekend, you know what I'm saying? Whew, I, I forgot this fight for somehow, but golly, you want to talk about bangers. We got Matt, the steamroller Frivola, 33 years old with an 11-3-1 record and the number 14 next to his name. Taking on Benoit, the god of war, Saint-Denis, 27 years old with a 12-1 and record. Again, straight banger. This is going to be the fight. If there hasn't been a tone set, 
that is setting the tone. The rest of the night is going to be carnage from this fight on. You should be ready for the pay-per-view. It's going to be worth the purchase. Um, you know, maybe you missed the Pat fight. You cannot miss this fight. This is going to get MSG bonkers. It's going to get the pay-per-view showcase kicked off, and you cannot blink for this one. Now, both men, they're very offensive and active to get finishes. You know, Matt is coming off four, not one, but four first-round finishes in a row. Saint-Denis hasn't seen a third round in his last four fights. So again, banger. Now, Matt trains out of Sierra Longo. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He is a World Series of Fighting Titan FC and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Four of his 11 wins are via knockout. Two of his three losses are also via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. Benoit is a southpaw fighter. He has a black belt in judo, a brown belt in BJJ, and he's been showing out as well. Two of his last three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's a brave alum, and of course, nine of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now the steamroll is rolling. He's coming off a very impressive hometown finish. Well, not the steamroller. Benoit is rolling. Coming off an impressive hometown finish on the Paris card against Tiago Moises. The steamroller is rolling. Um, he's a veteran who has fought stiffer competition in the octagon. And I think he's going to showcase that in front of this massive MSG crowd. You know, Matt, I think, is going to live up to his nickname. Use his experience, his fighting IQ. You know, Sierra Longo, that team's going to put up a good game plan to get the job done and defend his top 15 spot. Now, Saint Denis... If he's going to get the job done here, those massive kicks that is showcased in his last fight, I think that'll make the difference. I just think Matt's going to showcase that he's a little bit more durable. He's been there, done that. He's been in these wars before. He's been finished as well. Uh, But he's going to go in there to kill or be killed. He's the underdog. I'm taking the dog, the steamroller, Matt Frivola. But I am not putting him on a parlay. This is just flip a coin. Then moving on. The showcase for the female badasses. And again, just because this is a woman's fight doesn't mean there won't be carnage and chaos in MSG. It's here for a reason. We get Mackenzie Dern, 30 years old with a 13-3 and record and the number seven next to her name, taking on Jessica Bateastaka Andraj, 32 years old with a 13-3 and record as well. That's interesting. And the number five next to her name. Although this is going to be carnage, this really is a clash of styles fight. Two women in their primes looking to make a title shot run. The first for Dern, multiple for Andrade. She's been up and down. And this is a very, very talented strawweight division. Now, Mackenzie has solid striking. She's improved in that, that regards. You know, she showcased that in the Angela Hill fight. Her grappling and jujitsu is next level. Jessica has shown weaknesses there. But Jessica can destroy any game plan with her power and aggressiveness and has done that time in, time out. I think of the Rose Slam, Rose Namayunas, right? Just many just come out the gates firing. But breaking it down, of course, Mackenzie has a BJJ style. She has a third degree black belt in BJJ. She won gold in the 2015 ADCC World Championships. 
and also the world's uh, for gi and no gi. In 2014, she was the no gi world champion. In 2016, she was the world champion with the gi. So she's done it both places. She has the most submission wins in UFC women's strawweight division history with four. She's on a one-fight winning streak, but is 3-2 since 2021. She is a Legacy FC, LFA, and Invicta alum. And as you would expect, seven of her 13 wins are via submission. Now, we talk about the advantage that McKenzie has with the grappling, but Jessica does have a black belt in BJJ. She just doesn't act like she has it, right? Some people, you, you go to MMA, you're not thinking BJJ stuff. You're thinking just domination, especially the Batea Staka. She is the former strawweight champion, speaking of the Rose fight. She is tied with Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunez for the more, most performance of the night bonuses in UFC women's history with five, and that's because she brings chaos, carnage, and finishes. She has the most post-fight bonuses in UFC women's history with nine. I mean, she's been cashing them things, man. She also um, has the most post-fight bonuses in the strawweight division with eight. So one of those was in a different division. Why? Well, she is, um, let's see. Well, I guess we'll wait to get there. Well, she's the only woman in UFC history to win a fight in three weight classes. She has the most bouts in UFC women's history with 25. The first standing triangle, standing arm triangle choke in UFC history which won her the 2022 submission of the year against Amanda Lemos. She is on a three-fight losing streak. Two of them were in straw weight. She is three and four since 2021, so hasn't been on the, the winning side of things, but has fought some of the best of the best. Nine of her 24 wins are via knockout. Eight via submission. So 17 of her 24 wins are via finish. And five of her 12 losses are also via knockout. A little bit not more, not as traditional on the women's MMA side of it. But she knocks out, or B's knocked out. Let's be honest. Andrade, every time I say the Batea Staka, because she is a savage, man. She is a wrecking ball. She looks to bully her opponents, and she comes out firing massive hooks. And usually one of those lands and the other women don't want anything to do with it. She asserts herself. She controls the center of the octagon and not many people can back her down. Now, Mackenzie Dern is durable. She isn't going to let Jessica just back her down, right? Uh, her and Angela Hill were going out of war and Mackenzie was coming forward. Now, I love Angela Hill. I gave her her flowers about her last fight, but there's just a little bit difference in the aggressiveness and the power ability that Jessica Andrade brings. Jessica does tend to get sloppy, though. When she does that, Dern can find her opportunity for a takedown and get a finish. I'm probably betting on that outcome. Now, Mackenzie, she's just more of a technical fighter as a striker, um, which is kind of weird to think, <laughs> think of at this point in her career. Early in her career, you know, she wasn't known as very much of a striker, but she's been working on it. This is the biggest test. Jessica is the favorite, minus 188. Mackenzie Dern's the underdog. We're keeping the money on the dogs. Mackenzie Dern in MSG coming to eat against one of the most probably, I think they showed on the UFC Embedded Today episode two, uh, her strength and conditioning coach is like, we're, we're, we're fighting a, a stud. Like, 
I would be afraid to fight Jessica Andrade, and that's some real talk shit. But we're taking the underdogs. We're putting money on Mackenzie Dern. We put it on that parlay, and we're marking it down. And guess what? We're getting that bread. <laughs> and then we have the heavyweight and light heavyweight championships. Woo-wee! John Bones Jones is the GOAT. He's one of my favorite fighters. I've said this recently. I am more excited about this fight than what we would have saw with him and Stipe Miocic, which is saying a lot. We're getting Sergey Pavlovich. 31 years old with an 18-1 and record and the number two next to his name, taking on Tom Aspinall. 30 years old with a 13-3 and record and the number four next to his name. If you would ask me, even early this year, Shane, who are the two most dominant guys in heavyweight that no one wants to fight and will probably be fighting for the title? I would say Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall. Cyril Gaon would be close to the, being in there, but both of these guys, I think, would, would win against um, Cyril Gaon. But again, our theme, we got the steamroller. We got Mackenzie Dern, you know, sporting the dogs. You want to talk about chaos and carnage. This is straight modern-day gladiators. Grab your wine. Grab your outfits. This is going to be a collision in the octagon. Not only that, but both of these dudes, of course, are massively huge. They're in their primes, and it's a short-notice bout. Tom Aspinall is doing what I don't think many people would do, taking this on short notice. But the problem is, we just saw the Abu Dhabi UFC 294 event, the co-main and main short notice. I personally think not short notice. Kamara wins that, especially if it's a five-round fight, as which was expected when they were at welterweight. And I'm not saying Alex would win that fight, but we saw the first fight look a lot better than that one. I think it would be a lot better display. So the difference is, this is heavyweight though, and they're going for a finish. You don't necessarily need to train for the finish. You just got to go in there and, and capitalize. But you would like to have more game planning and preparation especially for a guy like Sergey. Now, breaking these gladiators down, these heavyweight fucking freight trains, Sergey trains out of Eagles MMA. <clears throat> Since entering the UFC, four of his seven fights have been performance of the night. Why is that? Because he's been getting finishes. He's right now on the longest first-round knockout winning streak in UFC history with six back-to-back first-round knockouts. He also, because of that, has the most knockdowns per 15 minutes in UFC history at 6.31. So in a three-round fight, he's getting 6.3 or more knockdowns. He's a Fight Night's global alum and former champion as well. He is on a six-fight winning streak. He is 6-1 in the UFC. His only loss was his debut fight against Alistar Overeem, who was straight savagery as well. I believe might have uh, popped for some stuff at the time. 15 of his 18 wins are via knockout. And the big one here, he has a six-inch reach advantage. When you got power shots coming like that, six inches could be the difference. Now, Tom has a black belt in BJJ. Since fighting in the UFC, five of his seven fights have been performance of the night. Same theme. Why? Because he's been getting finishes. He's been rolling. He's a Cage Warriors alum. He is on a one-fight winning streak, but that was because the fight before he had his knee blow out against Curtis Blades when he was on a six-fight winning streak. 
So he should be 6-0, and but they gave him a, a injury TKO loss there. That actually cost me 11 Gs. I had the whole London card pricked, uh, correct on like a $25 parlay. Thought I won, and I thought for sure Tom would win that fight. Blew his knee out in like 10 seconds. First step back. I was like, oh, man. Gotta love Vegas sometimes. But 10 of his 13 wins are via knockout. Now, I do not think this is going to get out of the first round, especially on short notice. I applaud Tom Aspinall's determination. He is a warrior, a true modern-day gladiator. I just don't think this is going to help him. Again, we saw what happened with the short notice disadvantages in Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, these guys are both foreign coming to the States, so they're dealing with a lot of time changes and things like that as well. And I think Sergey's just going to get a quick finish, but both fighters will land big shots. Sergey has shown some of his durability. We haven't seen, seen Tom um, get hit as much. And Sergey has fought a little bit higher level competition in the UFC. But with Sergey's reach advantage, mixed with the confidence that he has right now and the power, it's going to be too much. I mean, it was a fighter, fighter tour ago where he was at the slots in Vegas <laughs> making some bets before his fight. I mean, this guy, he's full of it right now. I do think Tom will have the, the mobility and speed advantage, but I don't think that's really going to have a chance to pay dividends as this is a car accident, straight collision about to go down in the middle of the octagon. For that reason, I'm taking the favorite. Sir, or no, come on. That can't be right. Yeah, okay. This one says he's an underdog. There is... There are books that have Sergey Pavlovich as an underdog. If you could find that, throw some bread on that. But maybe it opened like that. But this one's saying it as well. That's crazy to me. Well, we won't say he's a dog because in most books he's not. But I'm taking Sergey. We are putting him on that parlay. We are marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on to the main event. Potential fight of the year candidate and Yuri Prashaka. The 31-year-old fighter with a 29-3-1 record and the number one next to his name, taking on Alex Poetan Pereira, 36 years old with an 8-2 record and the number three next to his name. Well, Shane, why is this a fight of the year potential? Well, I've been hyping this up since it's been booked as a potential fight of the year candidate. And as Yuri said best, he's coming. He said, I'm coming. He's coming. I mean... I think this fight is even more exciting now that Yuri's been out for some time because Yuri is the most like questionable fighter out of all fighters that have been a champion uh, in the UFC. You know, he lives the samurai way. He's punching trees. He's doing the Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat and fast. Like this guy is full savagery. But what makes this exciting with his layoff is he's basically had a year and some change, really about a year and a half to add stuff to his game. You know, as he's gone up in the UFC, we did not see any grappling and wrestling ability. He showcased enough to get through five rounds and, and, and get a finish over Glover Teixeira, although it was pure exhaustion, really. Um, but Glover had out-grappled, you know, out-cardioed and smothered people in his reign. And, and, and here he was able to get over that. So what is he going to add? But also knowing that he was going to fight Poetan, who is the star pupil of Glover to share a fitness in MMA, you would assume that Glover is preparing him for what the year he is that they saw uh, almost two years ago. 
I don't think that's necessarily going to be the year or the game plan that he's about to come out to. I really can't wait. If someone says this is what's going to happen, they have no clue. Because when you look at the other side, Alex is a kickboxing legend. One of the best kickboxers of all time. And he's not a traditional MMA guy. He's only got 10 UFC fights. And uh, really, I don't know if he would be where he is if it wasn't for the Israel Adesanya beef and storylines from kickboxing. So, Lots of intriguing storylines and question marks, especially when Yuri the Samurai steps in the octagon. But we're going to break it down. Yuri, he has a Muay Thai style. He's the former light heavyweight champion. His last three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night because when he shows up, he's been showing out. He had the 2022 fight of the year against Glover Teixeira. He's the first Czech Republic champion. He, a lot of his uh, pro fights came from Risen, where he was uh, a former champion. He's on a 13-fight winning streak, 3-0 in the UFC. It's crazy. He's only had three UFC fights. 25 of his 29 wins are via knockout, and two of his three losses are via knockout. So as a samurai does, you die on your sword to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, Poetan has that kickboxing style. He's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Teixeira MMA and fitness. He has a black belt in kickboxing, brown belt in BJJ. He was the former middleweight champion before he came up to light heavyweight. Three of his six UFC fights have been performance of the night. You know, he, he's in six UFC fights. His uh, star is born him and Yuri both. I mean, these are very, very rare situations here. He was the 2022 male fighter of the year and breakout fighter of the year. That's when he stole the show from Izzy. He was just inducted into the glory hall of fame this year. And he was the 2014, 17, 19 and 21 glory champion. He was also the 2019 glory fighter of the year. And in 2017, he had the glory fight of the year against Israel Adesanya in kickboxing. He's on a one fight winning streak. I saw him in Salt Lake city against um, Jan Blakovich, his first light heavyweight test. I picked Jan, uh, didn't quite go that way, but it was a very, very close fight. He is 5-1 and one in the UFC, and six of his eight wins are via knockout. He is also a jungle fight and LFA alum. Now again, what makes this fight amazing is both men do not have a lot of fights and fighting experience in the UFC. Alex made his living off being the kickboxing champion while Yuri dominated Risen for four years. Now, I think Yuri is going to bring a lot of new things to his game plan and strategy for this fight that we have not seen. Alex especially is going to be partnering with Glover to try to take away the advantages that Glover experienced and how they could win over the course of five rounds because he knows them well. But I believe Yuri, although... Alex works with Glover is going to have a slight grappling advantage when it comes to MMA. And he may look to mix that in and, and have more of a grappling heavy approach than usual, especially early. Now I think his strategy is going to be keeping Poetan, the stone power fist dynamite that he's got in his hand. He's, he's going to look to keep him moving to tire him out like he did with Glover. You know, Alex is going to have the power advantage, but is he able, is he going to be able to do enough to win the scorecards in a five-round fight if he doesn't get the finish? That's the question. Is he going to get the finish? He's got great leg kicks. 
Is Yuri going to be prepared for that? I assume. I, I assume he tries to do some leg kicks of his own. Israel had some some uh, success with that, you know, chopping each other's legs. And you got to get that power away. Jan did it a little bit too in their fight. They both leg kicked each other. But I think he's going to mix in some grappling. I think he's just going to keep moving, coming in, coming out, blitzing, finding some weird samurai angles and, and moves. Um, and I, I think this goes five rounds without a finish. And if so, I'm betting on Yuri. I'm not thinking that Alex is going to get the finish. I expect Yuri to be prepared for this. And he's younger. You know, people forget Alex. Yeah, I mean, you know, he could be in his UFC prime, but he is 36 years old. We're talking about a five-year difference here. And Yuri has a lot more of MMA experience. But again, Alex went tit for tat with two UFC champions, Jan Blachowicz and Israel Adesanya, and made it look easy. So uh, it's going to be a great one. If anyone, again, says they know what the hell is going to happen, they don't. But I'm taking Yuri. I'm taking the underdog, plus 110. The dogs are taking over MSG. We're taking the samurai Yuri Prashaka. We aren't putting him on a parlay, though, because this is going to be chaos. But, man, I can't wait to recap this fight. I hope it lives up to the expectations because this is one of the more extraordinary title fights we've seen in the UFC in a long time. I mean, with John Jones, the light heavyweight division's been a revolving door since he's left. It's been chaos. It's going to continue to be that way. Can't wait! And then next week, um, we have a week off. No, we don't. We have a solid fight night Apex card. Back to the Apex. No more fight night uh, locations. This one's headlined by Brendan Allen and Paul Craig. Then we have a week off entering December. A couple weeks in December, then the holiday's off again. But that's episode 23. Let's all tune in to the MSG card. It's going to be one of the best of the year, potential fight of the year on the card. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Excited to break this down with you guys next week. Uh, See you next week.